Would you take God's Word and open it to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3? Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. If I were to ask you, how many of you in this room have actually had a book written about you and about your life? How many of you would raise your hand? Anybody? That's what I thought. I don't have a book written about me, or so I thought, until... I read Psalm 139, verse 16. I've got good news for you. Do you know that someone is writing a book about you? Actually, Psalm 139, verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You know that God, your life is so precious because he's the one who gave you that life and he's already chosen a lot of things that are down the road for you to enjoy. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 2, 10 says, for those that are in Christ, here's what it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Don't miss the last part which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, what I'm trying to say is that God has a purpose for your life. God has this story that he's writing. It's a true story. It's not a fiction, of course, it's fact. And so at the beginning of Luke, we read this inscription. We studied this already, but I'm just reminded you that in chapter one, verses one through four, Luke tells us how meticulous he was in his historical research to make sure that he wrote an accurate account. Okay, so he really conducted a lot of interviews and so forth. But what I find interesting is across the top of the Gospel of Luke, if you look at the first page, in most Bibles, it says the Gospel according to Luke. But you know what? The gospel is not about Luke. And that's why he never mentions his own name, nor does he talk about his own life. You know why? Because Luke said, what I feel God wants me to write about are the facts about Jesus Christ. I wanna put the focus on Jesus Christ. And so that's what the gospel of Luke is all about. You know, the same could be said about another biblical character named John the Baptist. This man was not a member of our church, just so you understand that. But John the Baptist, Chuck Swindoll writes of him and says that really his whole life could be divided up into two phases. Phase one, prepare the way for Jesus. Phase two, get out of the way of Jesus. I thought, man, that ought to be like us. As a matter of fact, someone asked John the Baptist, they said to him, who are you? He said, oh, I'm not the one. He said, if you want to call me something, just call me the voice. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. You see, he understood that life is not about self. Life is about the Savior. Whatever you do in life, your purpose is to present Christ, to glorify him. That's why that man, John the Baptist, in John 3.30, he said this, he, talking about Jesus, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. 
That would be a powerful life verse. John 3.30 to say, you know what? I want Jesus to increase in my life and I actually want to decrease. 2 Corinthians 3.3 tells us that we are like a letter. Your life is like a letter. It's written by the Holy Spirit, but it's a letter from Christ is what it says in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 3. You see, we are supposed to reflect Christ. You know how a lot of times now they have, you know, selfies? Life is not a selfie, right? Life is about the Savior. So we are to say, Lord, I want to put the magnifying glass on you. So at work, at school, in the neighborhood, in your family, among your extended family, here in our church family, you are to say, Lord, I want others to see Jesus in me. You know, as God was writing his story through John's life, he tells us quite a bit about John the Baptist's parents and about his birth. That's all found in Luke chapter one. But then God places John in what could be described as, well, a parenthesis. Have you ever been in one? A parenthesis? He puts him in a parenthesis because at the end of chapter one, we're only told how he was born and this sort of thing. But then it just says that he, he became strong in spirit, where? In the wilderness. That's Luke chapter one, verse 80. But in our text for this morning, Luke chapter three, verses one through six, there's a passage in here that's gonna say, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Most Bible scholars say he was 30. He was 30 years old when finally he emerges from the parenthesis. How long has God had you in a parenthesis? It's like, you know what? You feel like, I know that God wants to do something through my life, but what is it? Why is it I'm in this parenthesis? Perhaps the Lord has placed you in a holding pattern and you may be assuming this is wasted time. Can't we just move on with it? But you know what? Those who write could help us understand the importance of something called a parenthesis. You see, a parenthesis is like an interruption for a reader, but the writer, the writer knows you're not gonna understand some details that are very important to the story unless you pay attention to what the writer puts in the parenthesis. So even though right now may be hard for you and you may be saying, I'm just not sure what God is doing. I just feel like I'm not, I'm not making progress. I'm on a treadmill. It's like things aren't moving forward for me. Well, just remember that parenthesis is intended to clarify, to amplify, to explain, to enclose details or to provide examples. God has a very, very significant and important purpose in what is going on in your life right now. Right now, it's not wasted. I can assure you that God doesn't waste our lives. If you've ever read the uh, devotional series by Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest, I was reading his autobiography, which is called Abandoned to God. I love that title, Abandoned to God. Are you abandoned to God? Well, that's what uh, they were saying about Oswald Chambers. He was abandoned to God, but there was one sentence in that biography, and it said that his favorite message was called God's parenthesis. So I was like, what's God's parenthesis? So I looked and looked and I couldn't find it. 
But then all of a sudden, I read this passage and I thought that was God's parenthesis for John the Baptist. But here's the point. I think there could be some connections between what God was convincing John of in the wilderness and what he's trying to say to you right now in your parenthesis. So would you stand? I want to read this passage. I'm actually going to start with Luke chapter 1 verse 80, just so you know I wasn't making that up. <laughs> but Luke 1 80 says, and the child grew, this is John the Baptist, and the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Now, if you go on over to chapter three, verses one through six, this is where we're gonna spend our time. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, that's not in Texas, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, speak to each heart. Lord, we always need fresh manna from you. We need a fresh word. I know that everyone is gathered this morning to be fed spiritually. So Lord, I'm just gonna step out of the way and I'm gonna let your word just speak to us. So Lord, you clarify. Perhaps someone here this morning, maybe many, are in something similar to a parenthesis. Why? Why can't things just move forward for them? Would you clarify for them what you're trying to say to them. It may be different for each one of us, but I pray that each person here would hear the voice of the Spirit of God, and each person here would be open to the truths of Scripture. So we ask you, Lord, you speak as we listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In these verses, I saw four possible reasons why the Lord may have you in, well, maybe it feels like a waiting room, but I want to assure you, it's not wasted time right now in your life. So let's look at the possibilities. This is the first possibility of what God may be wanting to do. He wants to make sure that you are aware of his sovereign control. Whenever you read verses one and two, what's happening, Luke, this thorough historian, is wanting to make sure that we understand the historical marker of when did John the Baptist begin his public ministry. And so he gives us a list of seven historical figures. If you put all of these men together and you figure out, okay, when was that? When was this? When was, the, when was he in charge? When, you, know, you put it all together, most Bible scholars say you would come to some, somewhere around A.D. 
27 to AD 29. But let me read it, those verses again. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, so this is the guy that was over all of Rome, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, he's the man over Judea, obviously, and, Tetra, and Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. What do all of seven of those have in common? All seven of those have lots of things in common. One thing they definitely have in common, they're all in authority. They're all leading. So sometimes we, as we're going through life, we get so bent out of shape over who's in authority. We get so bent out of shape over, well, what are the circumstances going on right now in my life? And so we feel like, well, I guess I'll have to wait for more to take place. And so what John came out of the wilderness believing, he was certain, was that, you know what? God's on the throne. You know what? He's in control. And so it didn't matter if those that were in charge were covetous, conceited, cunning, cruel, cold, crooked. That's not the point. The point is, John said, I know who rules. I know who's over history. Do you know who's in charge of your circumstances? You know, if you are a note taker, you might want to write down Psalm 3115. Because you may have a day, it may be a certain day in your life, certain time in your life, certain season in your life, when you'll say, you know what? This has got to be a season that is not in God's hands. But Psalm 3115 says very simply, my times are in your hand. My times are in your hand. Do you know that your good times are in God's hands? You know those difficult times and those hard times? Those also are in his hand. Do you know that God has an unusual way? Romans 8:28 is one place, but I want to introduce you, if you've never discovered it, to Ephesians 1:11. Ephesians 1:11 is an incredible relief to me because sometimes life can seem completely out of control. But then I read Ephesians 1:11, and it says, "According to the purpose of Him who works all things." according to the counsel of his will. So what God's trying to say is, look, I have a plan. And I understand that some people get out of God's will. Some things are not God's will. Some people sin. Sin is not God's will, okay? So sin definitely happens in this world. When people resist God's will, they resist it. But you know, even when that happens, God can do something amazing because he's sovereign and because he's in control. God says, I can take all things that happen. And I can cause it to work together for a good purpose. And so I think that's amazing that he can do those kinds of things. So here's my question is, how many challenges are in your life right now that you would simply say, you know what? This one's too hard for God. Would you make a list of those? I remember reading one time that Corey Ten Boom Whenever she felt she was facing a challenge that was greater than the Lord, she would stand in front of the mirror and she would look herself right in the eye in that mirror and say, now I know that this is too hard for God. She said, I could get away with it the first time, but the second time she said, I would stand there and say, I know that this is too 
hard for God. And she would start laughing. And she would realize what a ridiculous thing to say that anything is too difficult for God. So here's the thing. Stop resisting. Stop resisting and just say, God, I surrender to you. I surrender to you. I surrender to your sovereign control in my life. I'm going to stop always thinking the grass is greener on the other side. Perhaps there's students here and you're, you're wishing away your whole youth because you're thinking, I can't wait till I can, you know, be to the next step. Whoa. God's building things in your life right now that you're going to need all the rest of the journey. Don't miss any season that's in your life. They're all in his hands. God is sovereign. That's one thing that John the Baptist knew when he came out of that wilderness. But there's another possibility. Another possibility for the reason that you or me, that we are in a parenthesis, is that God may be saying, you know, I'm waiting on you to accept what I've called you to do. I'm waiting on you to accept I have some service. There's a sacred call that the Lord knew I've called John the Baptist. I made John the Baptist for a certain reason. And so in the wilderness, John, when he comes out, he says, you know what I learned in there? I learned in that parenthesis, I learned in that wilderness that the word of God came to me and said, John, you're to be a, a voice. You're to prepare the way of the Messiah. The Bible is full of individuals testifying that almighty God who made everybody on the planet, he had a specific plan, an individual plan for each one of them. Do you know he has one for you? He had a plan for Abraham. He had a plan for Moses. He had a different plan for Jeremiah and a different plan for Esther and a different plan for Ruth and a different one for Paul and Timothy. The, the reason I'm saying that is because he's got a personal call on your life. There's something he's placed in your hands that he wants to use that for his glory. And so all I'm saying is, if you're waiting on things to move forward, it may be God is saying, I'm trying to tell you, I've got something I want you to do. And we're not moving on until you listen to this important information in this parenthesis. John the Baptist, he was listening. Which John? I mean, we got, I think we may have a hundred people in our church named John. So you got to clarify, which John are you talking about? Well, this was John, the son of Zechariah. See, God's specific. He knows exactly who you are. He made you and he's got a plan for you. But also I noticed that while he was in the wilderness, the Lord must have also made something else crystal clear. Where? There's a specific place. Maybe, maybe not so much a ge geographical reason, region, but maybe a specific region of ministry. But there's a specific place of ministry. His was the region around the Jordan. If you were to go to Mark chapter one and verse five, you would find that that's where he went, exactly where it says he was called, that's where he went. Just like Luke says, and he went into all the region around the Jordan. You know what's significant about that? Is that there was nobody out there. It was pretty much desolate out there. As a matter of fact, Bible scholars say it would have taken about a day's walk if you were going from Jerusalem over to that area of the Jordan. And so I'm thinking, wow, why would 
he want to go and invest his life over there? You know what? God hasn't placed you by the Jordan River. He's placed you by the Colorado River, right? <laughs> so here you are. And I just want you to know there's an old saying. I love, to, I love some of the old sayings. One of the old sayings said, bloom where you're planted. So bloom where God's planted you. Say, okay, God, you know what? I've been resisting. Maybe I'm not making the most of the place where I work. I'm not making the most of my time with my grandkids. I'm not making the most of being an Awana leader or a Sunday school teacher or whatever it could be. But would you just simply say, you know what? God's planted me right here, right by the Colorado River. So I'm going to bloom for him right where I am. That's what John the Baptist, God put him by the Jordan River. But also, it says also that he knew the fabric of the type of ministry that he was called to. Would you look at these verses again? And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He's proclaiming and he's baptizing. He's proclaiming and he's baptizing. I got to think about preaching and baptizing. Everybody that's in this room that feels that God's called you to be a pastor, would you raise your hand? Oh man, okay, we got some. Got Josh back there, me and Josh. So that means no one else is called, right? Wrong, no. Your calling could be calling, a calling to work with children, a calling to teach God's word, a calling to work with students. It could be a calling to work in music. I don't know what kind of calling it could be. It could be to lead small group Bible studies, to work with singles. It could be to, to uh, say, okay, I'm gonna try to lead men to follow Christ. I'm gonna try to lead women to follow Christ. What is it that God has called you to do? Is it outreach? Is it disciple making? There's a calling that is on each of our lives. And so what we've got to do whenever God's speaking in the parenthesis and he slowed everything down and he's saying, I'm waiting. And you're saying, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Seek him whenever you're in the parenthesis and he will clarify what it is. That's what a parenthesis is for. And so just ask God, God, what is this season in my life for? You know, I, I know you used me back here in that other season, but I'm in a new season now. So what is it? Is he calling you to prayer? I don't know. I think also when he came out of there, he knew what his message was supposed to be. A message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance. Man, that will bring the crowds out of Jerusalem and out of Judah, right? When you gather a group around you and say, you need to repent. <laughs> you know what? They came. Isn't that amazing? They came because he was delivering the message that God had placed on his heart. You know, the message of Christ is the same for all of us, same message. But there are so many different approaches to that same message of Christ. You take, for example, Isaiah talked about redemption, the redemption of God. You talk, look at Jeremiah, he talked about judgment of God. Ezekiel talked about the glory of God. Daniel, the sovereignty of God. Hosea, the love of God. Job, the pur purpose of God. What is it that you would say, this message that God has placed in my heart, when I go to work, when I go to school, when I'm with family, it's burning in my heart like a fire that's shut up within my bones. That's the way Jeremiah, the prophet, felt. So let's move to the third purpose. What is another possibility? 
You're asking the question, why is my life not moving forward? What is it that God would want to do in my life? Why are we not moving forward? Here's another one. Possibly, it could be over adjustment to his spiritual construction. Is there anybody in this room who knows when they're finally gonna be done with I-10 road construction? <laughs> hey, I mean, it's like, it's still there, you know. It was still there years ago, it seemed like. I don't know, it seemed like we're always doing this. But I'm thinking, how long before God completes the construction on you and me? See, even though I'm a pastor, even though I've been walking with him, you know, since I was at Union University, here's the thing. God's still working on me. God's still working on you. Maybe you are thinking, I think God's forgotten me. I think God's given up on me. No, there's a really interesting verse in Philippians 1.6 that tells us what's the timeline on God's construction project in your life. Philippians 1.6 says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. See, God's in this for the long haul. And so God says, will you not address those areas I'm pointing to? He's wanting to fill up some low places. I wonder if the low places could represent some kind of compromise with the flesh. You and I, if we don't keep our eyes on the Lord, if we don't stay full of God's spirit, if we don't stay in the word of God, if we don't stay around other people that are living for Christ, you know what could happen? We could be defeated by the flesh. The flesh defeats people. And it makes all of these valleys in life. But the low places, this is what John the Baptist knew when he came out of there. The low places, they're going to have to be filled up. But then there's also high places that need to be lowered. High places could be what? Pride. Pride's definitely a high place. Pride, or let's say unbelief. I'm not going to believe that. Are you kidding? That's got to come down. If you want to see God move in your life, you're going to have to say, okay, Lord, I'm sick and tired of pride and I'm sick and tired of unbelief. Would you just level those down so that you can travel across my life and let other people hear about you and see you? Well, what about the crooked places? Well, he says those crooked places, they're going to become straight. Isn't all of this what repentance is all about? You see, we don't just repent whenever we come to faith in Christ one time in our life. No, we repent daily. We should go back to the Lord daily and confess and agree and say, Lord, I've, I've got some crooked places in my life, some curves, some detours with the world. That's what I'd call them. Crooked places or detours with the world. They're gonna have to be straightened out. And you're saying, why won't God work through my life? Well, God's saying, I will work through your life as soon as you allow me to straighten out those crooked places. If you want to read about worldliness, you can read 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. It talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. Those are the kind of detours that's going to get you off of that main story, the main focus of what God wants to do in your life. And so say, God, I want you to straighten out those crooked detours that I've been taking. What about the rough places? 
They're going to need to be smoothed and leveled out. You ever had a piece of lumber and it was rough, had splinters? You're going to have to sandpaper it down. I think those could be our relationships. Sometimes our relationships, they're splintered. They're full of pain. They're full of splinters. We need to say, oh God, help me to get that right. And so whenever we get that right, that's when Matthew 5, 23 and 24, a guy's coming up there to present an offering. And you know what God says? Before you present the offering, I want you to go get right with your brother. Go get right with your brother. And then you come back. And together, why don't you offer this up? You see, there's some things with God. He said, you know what? That's important to me. The way you treat others, the relationships that you have in your family, your marriage, in your community, it's important. If we're going to win this community, then we have to say, oh, Lord, help us to have smooth, healthy, good relationships that are based on godliness. Well, let's go to the fifth and the final purpose. Maybe there's one other thing that God's trying to get at in the parenthesis. It may relate to alignment with the Lord's scriptural commissions, the Lord's scriptural commissions. You know, for a while I was in Canada and I used to work alongside of ranchers. And so one time they said, we're gonna build a fence. We need to put a barbed wire fence around this pasture. And so I remember that we, we dug a hole and we sat down. Uh, the man I was working with was 77. So when I say we set the post, I think you can figure out who did it. I was still in my 20s. So anyway, I set the post out in there and we were able to, to pack it in and so forth. We got the first post and then we went and measured at the far other end of the pasture. And he measured and made sure exactly where he wanted it. And he set the end post. So we had the starting post and the end post. And then he said, okay, now let's come down here and let's loosely run a barbed wire from that first post to the end post. So we did that. And then he said, I'll drive the pickup. And he said, you come in behind the pickup and you take each one of these uh, wooden posts. They look like they came right out of the bush, you know. But anyway, I, I would throw them. He said, I want you to give me posts every 12 feet, every 10, 12 feet, something like that. I just remember they were, they were a ways apart. And so I would lay them down, you know, and we went all the way to the end. And then when we got to the end, he said, now let's go back and let's set each one of those posts up. And you know what? They were all in a straight line because we just set them right there where that, that strand of barbed wire was. My point is, you got to know where you're headed. You got to know the vision. You got to know the end result. What is God's end vision? Well, he gave it to John and I think he gives it to us in verse 6. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Be careful. It doesn't say all flesh will receive the salvation of God. He wishes they would, I wish they would. But the fact is, they won't, they won't. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. It's so sad whenever you see people walk away from salvation in Christ. But here's the thing. He says, at least let them see it. At least let them hear it. And that's what motivated John the Baptist. He said, you know what? They may not all repent, but I'm gonna make sure that I give that message of repentance clear. And so that's the last fence post. John was ready for the story to continue because he aligned his life 
with the purpose that God had, God had revealed this in his word in Isaiah. Over 700 years before John the Baptist, Isaiah had said these same words that are kind of offset in print in our Bibles. The voice of one crying in the wilderness and so forth. But 700 years it had been there waiting and John the Baptist says, I'm going to align my life with that post, with that promise, with that direction. Have you aligned your life with God's direction? You know, sometimes it's like we, we start thinking, well, I believe I'll align my post to success or popularity or something else, maybe pleasure. And we get way off track. And what we've got to come back to is to say, wait a minute, wait. No, God says, align my life so that all can see the salvation of God. Man, so that all can see the salvation of God. I'll never forget in Canada one time hearing Henry Blackaby who wrote Experiencing God. He said that our lives are a lot like currency. It's a lot like currency. And so every day that we live, we spend a little more and a little more and a little more. So he said, here's the thing. Are you happy? Are you content with what you're getting in exchange for your life? And man, I got to thinking, I thought, whoa. See, we get so satisfied with lesser things. And God is saying, I want to give you eternal things. And that's why when I read Isaiah 43, 4, where the Lord said, because you are precious and I love you, I'll give you other men in exchange for your life. And from that point on, I thought, that's it. I just want to disciple men. I want to win men to Christ. I want to train as many as I can. What about you? What is it that's on your heart that God has placed there? Was John the Baptist's life significant? Every life is significant. Every life is valuable. The Lord has a purpose for our existence. See, John spent most of his life in the wilderness, 30 years of it anyway. So at 30 years of age, he began his public ministry. And I mean, he may have lived only six months or one year, two years. We don't know exactly how long his ministry, but it was brief, believe me. But he honored God with the time that he had. Despite the fact that he preached out in the country about a day's walk from Jerusalem, despite the fact that he wasn't actually among Judah's best dressed preachers and prophets, despite the fact that he didn't give feel good messages, the multitudes responded, didn't they? As a matter of fact, Jesus' assessment of his life was this, Matthew 11, 11, he said, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because John the Baptist said, my life is about magnifying Jesus. I want him to increase and I want to decrease. So I want to close with one last thing. It's like, to my knowledge, it's like the last time we hear of John the Baptist mentioned. But John 10, 40 to 42, closes with the historical record of John's life with this amazing tribute. Listen to these words. And think about your life. No matter what you do, no matter what your calling is in life, think about your life. Jesus went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there Jesus remained. 
And many came to Jesus and they said, John did no sign. John did no miracle. But everything that John said about this man, speaking of Jesus, was true. And many believed in him there. You know what? God's placed each one of us right here. Right here. And there's a purpose. And I believe that purpose is that we would tell the truth about Jesus Christ. I believe that purpose is that we would point other people to Jesus Christ together as a church family. See, it's not about my life anymore when I become a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's about his life. It's about his salvation. It's about his priorities. It's about the construction he wants to do. It's about his glory. And so we should say, you know what? If somebody were to say, tell me your story, I would say, this is not my story. This is his story. It's a true story. It's factual. It's not fictional. Would you come to Christ today? He is so real. John the Baptist prepared the way for him. This church has been preparing the way for many years for people to come to know Christ. Uh, I would love for you to trust Christ if you don't know him. I wanna ask our musicians if they would come prepare to lead us in this last song of knowing you. Do you know him? You know, I'm not asking you, do you know religion? Do you know traditions? Do you know a bunch of uh, just, you know, factual things about him? But do you know him? He's a person you can get to know. That's what we're all about, is trying to point you to him. He's changed our lives. We, we know he will change yours if you will just give your life to him. Let's stand together. We'll pray, and then I'll stand down front. We'll sing this song. If you feel you need someone to pray with, I'll be here for you. Lord, thank you so much for this time to look into your word. I really believe there's a purpose for each person's life that's here. I believe they were made by you, and I believe if they will trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, knowing that you rose from the dead, I believe you'll do a work, a fresh work. You'll help them even start again. You'll help them, well, be born again. And so I pray that during this time, you would draw them to yourself, that you would be honored. So bless this time of invitation. If there's anyone here that needs to respond to Christ in repentance and faith, I pray this would be the day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.